Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Innovation Crush. I'm your gracious host, Chris Denson. Um, this will be the first episode I actually do with a mint in my mouth. So you, you get a fresh breath interview. Um, and in case you guys don't know who I'm talking to, first of all, we'll get to that. But secondly, uh, this show is all about innovation, marketing, ideas, and really fun things in the marketplace. Um, and one fun thing is right in front of me, a gentleman by the name of Andy Rome. Say hello, Andy. Hello, everyone. How's my breath smelling? Can you-, you know, it's, uh, I, I should have a mint. I feel... No, because it... I'm not, I'm not following suit. It's not, it's not proper etiquette for audio recording. At least I'm not chewing gum. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So um, I'm horrible at introductions, but I know you're awesome, especially as a fellow Detroiter. Yeah. Ooh, high, virtual high five across there the... There we go. I can't Detroit. Um, so tell me a little bit about who you are and what you're doing. So, you know, being born and raised in Detroit, it gives you a sense of, of paranoia in a way that something bad is going to happen somewhere down the line. Or at least you know what to do. If you, and you know, bad. most more importantly, you <laughs> know what to do when things go bad. Uh, so I credit a lot of what I've done in my life to having been born and raised in the great city of Detroit um, and having gone to the University of Michigan. I'm sorry. Thank you very much. Um, so it's, um, no, it's, um, as, I, as I went through school and high school, and uh, University of Michigan, I learned that, you know, learning was really important and education was key. And uh, my classes were, you know, some were fun, some were not so fun, but it it gave me a sense of how not to teach. And so I I never really saw myself as a, uh, as an instructor, an educator, and even a college professor. Let's Uh, back up for a second. What, um, just going in that direction, what uh, you're, you are teaching is a program at Loyola Marymount University. Yes, so M I am school. called the M School. So uh, let me let me fast forward. I am an associate professor of marketing at Loyola Marymount University, just down the road from the studios. Woo! Beautiful campus. I think we were number seven nationally in terms of most beautiful campuses really? in the U.S. Say Even though over, Ooh, that's a very subjective. over 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 Pepperdine. Pepperdine's a good campus. There you go. Um, but it's it's a great school. I landed here about uh, three years ago from Boston, where I taught at Northeastern University for about ten years. And the one thing that that amazed me about LMU was its location. Not in terms of scenic beauty and the fact that we're on this bluff, you know, over overlooking Lincoln and Jefferson Avenue, mm-hmm. and you can see the Pacific Ocean. But the, our proximity to some amazing companies, um, yours included, OMD, were if you if you drew a, a five mile radius around campus, yeah. we're a stone's throw from Electronic Arts, Deutsch, TBWA, Shiat Day, OMD, Resolution Media, Facebook. Did I mention Google in Venice? YouTube Hangar, uh, YouTube Studios, um, Ignited, and El Segundo. So the one thing I, I noticed was, wow, you know, here I am at this university, and I realize how important it is to to bring you know, like real life uh, examples and industry into the classroom. And here we have it literally at our fingertips. That's amazing. So Um, prior to, I'm still, still working on this bit. Prior to, (laughs) to uh, coming into teaching, what was your background before then? Were, were you, because you're, you're teaching marketing. Um, what what was your background before? Yeah, thanks. You, um, okay. Thanks for asking because I love to go. This, this could be a five minute monologue. Um, We got time. So I, at Michigan, 
I wanted to play baseball, but I wasn't good enough. So I um, actually Aww. had to go to class, and I <laughs> I studied aerospace engineering, and I um, so I graduated with a bachelor of science in aerospace engineering. Worked for a couple of years, and noticed that I was probably going to starve if I continued my career in aerospace engineering because I love the theory and I love the math and I love the differential equations and mm-hmm. everything that went into it. But I couldn't design my way out of a paper bag. So when it when you know in in feels like aerospace engineering, you have to be able to build things like paper airplanes and work on, you know, I was in propulsion, so I worked on jet engines, and it just wasn't really cutting it for me. So I um, had my first midlife crisis in my (laughs) mid-20s, and I left the industry and moved to Australia for six months and worked on a cattle station. Uh, learned how to herd cattle and ride horses and just, you how know. How did you it, find that opportunity? It was a friend of mine who worked um, also in the engineering field, and he had uh, lived with a family up in North Queensland as an exchange student. Right. So we must have been have maybe over a few beers, like, what am I going to do with my life? That's a lot of beers to decide as to a, <laughs> leave and go to the other so side So I of woke up, I probably woke up um, not <laughs> feeling so well and thought. Did you wake up in Australia or? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a better story. <laughs> right. It was actually somewhat planned. Uh, so this was before kids, before marriage. Um, I moved for six months and, you know, in a way discovered myself. And I came back with a passion to work in marketing. I don't know why marketing was just kind of the I, right. I love selling. And I, I think I was somewhat extroverted. Um, and I just wanted to know more about the front lines of what was happening in business, because as right. an engineer, you're one of I was one of 2000 engineers at, you know, we were like um, it was a factory. And we just worked in in cubicles, and we never knew what happened after our planes or engines hit the market. So I ended up at Brooks, the running shoe company, as a kind of a tech rep, uh, a store rep, worked my way up to national sales manager um, at Brooks. And then I um, parlayed that into a really fascinating career at Reebok, Hmm. uh, working on some specific categories like the running category, the walking category, and kind of running our own business, business units. And then, again, midlife crisis number two hit, and I thought, is this really what I want to do for the next 10 or 20 years? So, so I went, went back off. to Australia. I went, <laughs> I, I, well, actually, now I'm married. With, okay. um, at, at this point in time I'm in the story. married at this point in time to my lovely wife, Kim. Uh, we're still married. Thank you. And um, I went and got my PhD. So this PhD program in marketing, believe it or not, you can get a PhD in marketing. And I, I went from the streets. Yeah, instead of you know on the back <laughs> cover of a streets. matchbook um, cover, <laughs> and we uh, so I, I enrolled in a, a four year program, got my PhD in marketing at UMass Amherst, um, and began teaching. And I just found uh, I loved it. It was I finally you know at the age of mid thirties I right. finally discovered what I potentially possibly could it's be good though. at. It's kind, of, it's kind of where. Everybody, I think, kind of hits their stride, like around that point in time. Hopefully, like it, it, it seems because we have a similar journey, right? Like I majored in engineering. I went to Michigan State. I went to the you know go green, go away, um, go and smart. and uh, I worked at Chrysler for a little over a year, and I had the same feeling, like what, like what is this? Like what you know, what am I doing? No background or education in marketing. And my journey was kind of through the entertainment industry side of things. And that's a whole other five-minute monologue. But um, one of the questions I did have for you, especially now that you're teaching, you know, kids, younger minds, um, and uh, and then also uh, you've been on that, on that side where uh, – 
you didn't quite know, right? Because uh, my thing is, uh, like, you always say, hey, you ask a 17-year-old kid what they want to do for the rest of their lives when they enter school. Nine times out of ten, they don't know, unless you've had some deep passion uh, since you were eight. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, just, so just kind of riff on that a little bit in terms of knowing, like, what you've seen in, in that journey. Yeah, so my, my background is 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 kind of crazy like, like yours. So when our students, our students, my students in the M school are typically 20, 21, 22, and they have this feeling like they have to know exactly what their career path is going to be. There's no room for, for error. There's no room for ambiguity. It's, damn, Professor Rome, what am I going to do? You know, is this the perfect job for me? And so on one hand, I want to say, you know what? You never know. I mean, I can, and I could talk about my background and how it took me, you know, 10 or 15 years to really find myself. Um, so you, you, in a way, you just say it's, it's this big pool of water. It's, it's the kind of the ocean of life. And just at some point, you have to quit dipping your toe in the water. You just have to dive in. Right. And you may, you know, and, and this may work out. It may not. Uh, but you so just, says the surf professor, by the way. I, I'm trying. <laughs> we could talk about surfing, too. But um, no, it's just it. Well, one thing is, like, you know, you don't look like a typical professor, right? Like, or the the antithesis of what you. Well, think. thank you. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. Um, I left I, my tweed jacket at home. <laughs> my pipe, yeah, exactly. Your pipe and, and no mustache uh, or no beard. But and, and but I think that's sort of you know, a caveat to your perspective. Like you know, the whole idea of dipping the toe in the water and not really having all the answers is a little bit of a laid back approach to the creative side of marketing as a whole, let alone like molding young people. Yeah. So, so at our M school program, which is a, a uh, an initiative we launched two years ago at LMU. Um, and I, I just have to credit the administration, the Dean at LMU of the business school, Dennis Draper for what he's done and allowing us to adopt. And it's pretty, pretty um, uh, much of a startup mentality. In, in developing this program because typically at large institutions like LMU, things happen very slowly. It's like, you know, the, the change of a glacier. Um, so this LMU, the M school program has, has grown significantly over two years. And what we try to instill in our students is this is the world of advertising and branding, not from a textbook, not from some guy in the front of the room who thinks he knows everything, who's standing at a podium lecturing, but we let them experience it um, from their own perspectives. So right. what, that, what that means is we've thrown out textbooks. We depend heavily on, on industry, on this, again, as I mentioned, the, the creative capital, um, that an innovative capital that surrounds LMU. And a lot of our class sessions are held off campus. <laughs> and what that does is, number one, it, it shows our students that there is life beyond the classroom. Right. But also, it, and we don't have any empirical scientific evidence to support this, but anecdotally, it really transforms the learning dynamic. So you take a kid out of a classroom where they, I mean, remember back to Michigan State or my yeah. days at Michigan as an en engineering student, the code of conduct is you walk into the room, you sit in the back row, and you <laughs> lean back and you take notes right. or not. Yep. I don't think I, I, I think I wrote one paper and I might have had two courses where I actually got to talk. So what we do in the M school is we place a lot of the learning responsibility on the students. So in a typical session, maybe it's held at Deutsch or Shiat or OMD or Google or Facebook. They lead a lot of the, the content um, and they're responsible, they're responsible for, for the success of the, of the specific session. 
So in each in each case, whether it's on LMU's campus or off campus, they have a they play a really active role in the learning experience. Now, how important? I mean, is there a value to the textbook, or is there no value to it? Like you, yeah. you throw them out completely, and I, I get the idea of experiential learning. Like, is that a shift across education as a whole, or you know, or is there still value to sort of like the sit and take notes and listen for a minute? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I textbooks are great. Um, and it really depends on the on the purpose of the uh, the objective of the course or the or the classroom. So, um, in a marketing principles course or an accounting course or courses where things don't change that much, I mean, there are some principles, some marketing principles that just that that last over time. Whether it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the fact that we're motivated beyond the need for survival and sleep and safety and security. Uh, I mean, that's why people buy. I'm convinced that's why people buy luxury cars or coach handbags. Right. Um, it's, it's a totally irrational decision, but it, it, re- it relates to uh, tried and true psych, you know, psych principles from psychology, from the field of psychology. We also, so in courses like that, there are principles that just don't change. And right. a lot of those principles depend or relate back to human nature right. and, and, and human behavior. What is the psychology, uh, just a, a quick sidebar, or maybe it might be longer than quick, but like the psychology of that buying decision, right? Uh, a coach handbag versus the thing I find at Ralph's is just cute, right? What what goes into that? If I'm the same person, you know, upper middle class or middle class, what is sort of the some of the psychological points that you... Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at the functionality of that handbag, I mean, it probably your, your target bought, maybe it's from a... A target designer, a lower end designer, but you know maybe they've developed a cachet, but it's I don't know what forty five bucks. Right. But you could spend five hundred dollars. More like an assistant coach bag. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, but I'm saying functionally, it does. It provides the same purpose. Right. You know, it, it holds your stuff. Um, think about the the upper levels of the of the pyramid, though. You get status. There's a certain level of of prestige, or I have something that you don't have. When you pay more money for something that other people may not be able to afford, right. um, so I think it's you know it's a totally in my mind it's it's economically an irrational decision, right? You know, because for four hundred fifty more dollars, you're you're basically serving the same needs with um you know with a more expensive handbag. And is that is that like transportation, my car is a Jeep Wrangler, cost right. $15,000 used. It gets me from point A to point B as well as the other guy's Tesla. Right. But there's that emotional connection that people have. And I think that's something that whether we're talking digital marketing or traditional marketing, it doesn't change. But it, and isn't it, you know, a part of like from the marketing ecosystem, right? You want to get down to the core values, right? Prestige necessarily isn't a value. I could be wrong there, but I don't, I don't first, I don't see it as a value proposition. It's like, it, it could almost be perceived as dickish, right? Like if, if I had that thing that you don't have, like, aha, uh-huh, which I, I'm guilty of. Um, but you know, as where do, where do you find that balance as yes, we want to appeal to the prestige and the ambiance mm-hmm. of a thing, Versus like a core value well, let, and a need. Yeah. So let's talk about um, instead of talking about expensive items, let's talk about hipsters because I'm fascinated by li- having li- living in L.A. This idea of hipster culture. Yeah. Haven't been to Silver Lake. Haven't been to Echo Park. But I want to go and, and study hipsters. Um, I don't even know what a hipster is, but I think I know one when I see one. Yeah. (laughs) But so, you know, um, there's a certain mindset, whether it's a set of values or it's just a, an extrinsic, 
I want to portray myself in a certain way, mm-hmm. there again, that affects this person's consumption behavior. Maybe they're not buying them. Maybe they actually shop at a secondhand shop, and they're purposely buying stuff that um, is used or secondhand or looks like it's from the 1950s or 1960s because, again, they want to be different. Right. I don't know why we all want to be different, but... um, I guess individuality is like what we strive for, but even though we identify that individuality with things that already exist. And so, again, these are, are, I think these are are principles, human behavior, consumer behavior principles that just don't change. I have a 14-year-old daughter, and all of her friends, she and her friends want to be different, but... On the, by the same token, they're all buying the same Brandy Melville, Forever 21, Peck Sun clothing and apparel. Right. So I want to be different, but I also want to fit in, which is totally bizarre. The, that is bizarre. And it's really interesting because as I was reading sort of the description of your, you know, some of the courses in the curriculum, you know, there's so many different disciplines. Like, we're, you know, we're talking about psychological decisions, but then there's user design. There is, you know, finance. <laughs> there's all these different verticals of education that need to go into it what you know how important is the broad swath of er- everything that marketing encompasses which is almost everything <laughs> versus hey I want to be a specialist I want to be the analytics guy you know yeah spoken like a true marketer we 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 control the world <laughs> we manipulate and no we don't we are um we're good people um so let me let me just get back to you have these these core fundamentals or principles right. or theories that are timeless so you need reference material, maybe a textbook. There are some great marketing textbooks, and a lot of our courses are taught from those because they teach those those more timeless principles. But then you mentioned, uh, you know, yeah, kind of user interface and the ways that now that consumers are are influenced or reached by brands. That's changed. You cannot uh, properly teach a course um, about how. Brands and consumers engage and interact via textbook because once that textbook is published and in print and on the bookstore shelves, it risks being outdated. So the nature of, of our, our what I call our transformational initiative with the M School is to keep current, um, to tie those, those timeless principles into this new world of digital, social, uh, mobile influences, and, and mobile marketing. And that's where it's it's really really difficult to find a a soft cover or a hard cover book that that keeps pace with a, with a rapid change. And where like where where are the resources? Are the resources only in the world? Like, do you have to go to talk to the Bud Cadells of the world or or the Chris Densons of the world? Um, and ha- like because it's minute by minute. <clears throat> I mean, like my team, we're exchanging multiple emails a day on trends and new stuff and old stuff and how things are changing and. You're right. By the time I summarize that and give it to somebody as an educational tool, like a good percentage of that stuff will be irrelevant. So how do you, you know, how do you balance like really building a curriculum versus like the fast paced change? Yeah. Yeah. So the challenge is you you do have to build a curriculum. And so we have five courses that we've planned out over a two year period and all it's like new product development in overdrive because all of these courses are brand new and we develop them. Um, based upon industry perspective. So the Chris Stensons, the Bud Cadells are really the top of the pyramid in terms of, of you. how we, you're welcome. <laughs> you guys are the rock stars. Um, and, and you're right. If, if we don't have you, 
we risk being obsolete. So if something comes out in Mashable or Ad Age or Ad Week or the New York Times media section, it's current, but there's always something new going on right. um, that the people that are in industry on the front lines, like you know you and, and many others that we, we partner with, you guys know what's happening because you're working with the media companies, the Facebooks, the Googles. Uh, you're working with your clients. And in ways, you're, you guys are all educators because you're clients. And I'm not, I'm not calling out anyone, but by nature of working in an office and having a, a car to sell or a product to sell and you know, a retail presence to develop, it becomes very tactical and executional. And so you don't always, as on the client side, is what we call the client side, we don't, you don't, they don't always have time to think and, and kind of explore these new alternatives. So that's why we're just fascinated by our agency partners because, t- to me, they're on the front lines and they're the ones who are kind of, um, you know, scratching and, and scraping for, for new material and new platforms. And um, I just, case in point, we wrote a book on social media. Um, shameless plug here. It's called Herding Cats, A Strategic Approach to Social Media Marketing, published July 2014. So two weeks ago. Okay. Congratulations. But, well, thank you. But I'm just, you know, I wake up at night, you know, like, oh, my God, chapter five. We've got to revise that. You know, three weeks later, <laughs> right. something else happened in, in industry. So, again, we try to balance those things that don't change with the things that do change. And we depend heavily on the individuals out there in the, you know, the kind of the LA uh, agency creative community to help us keep our students current. And man, do they benefit? Yeah. I mean, these kids, kids or, you know, young adults uh, learn so much more in our classes because we keep the classes current and because it's not a one to many lecture with some guy in a tweed jacket and a beard and a pipe. Well, I think there's value. I mean, I love that it's experiential, like you're going out in the field and doing things because, uh, you know, um, there's those, like you said, the undying principles of how the of driving emotional connection and the medium will always change or there's going to be more mediums, right? Because the theory sometimes is like, oh, these things are going to go away. But if you look at like the journey from campfires to radio to movies to television like everything nothing knocked anything else out right and <clears throat> excuse me and if you look at you know statistically speaking media consumption is up on all platforms um, but and so now these kids have a larger playing field. I keep, yeah, I'm saying kids like you. Uh, but no, there's a larger playing field of opportunity to connect. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when, when we, when we um, enroll students in our courses, these are students, marketing students, marketing majors at LMU, and they, they think they want to go into advertising, but they're not sure what that, what that really means. So they might think, well, I want to be a creative person. Or they've seen the show Mad Men and they want to wear a suit and, and you know, kind of sit in a boardroom and, and uh, brainstorm you know, new jingles or ideas. So they have no clue uh, or little idea of what really opportunities exist out there. So they'll, they'll think they want to go into creative, but they'll end up as a digital copywriter, um, which is still a, a creative position, but it's very focused. So hopefully what we do is open up the windows of opportunity to many of our students so that they learn about um, things that they actually might want to pursue more specifically in, in the advertising industry. Yeah. I, and I noticed like a lot of the projects that they do, you know, it goes beyond marketing, right? Like in some cases they're actually making products. It's like 
where I feel like most, and again, I didn't study marketing. You know, I've spoken to maybe one or two classes in my day, but uh, most times it's like, hey, come up with a campaign for this product, right? Uh, or this fictitious product or a real product. Um, but there's one where like they had to reinvent a calendar or like a, a colander. Spaghetti drainer. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So how does that play? How does inventing and making things and making stuff, they even make apps, they make, they build things mm-hmm. versus like think through how to connect with it, you know, connect those yeah. things with consumers. Well, one, one principle we, we instill in every class is they make stuff. Uh, so it's one thing, again, you mentioned, it's one thing to maybe create a campaign for uh, an existing beer brand or Red Bull. I mean, if you give us the students, if you give them te- if you give the teams and the leeway to pick their own categories, it invariably ends up beer, energy drinks, or Nike. Right. So you get a really limited bandwidth of of Scott's ideas wearing, coming from Nikes, that. By the way, you see those? Where's nice. Dodgers? Nice. Brooklyn, yeah. Nice Brooklyn Dodgers Nikes. I need a pair of those. Um, <laughs> Says the shoe. Okay. Yeah. Brooks Reeboks. Uh, so we um, we we try to give them um, instill some confidence that they too can create really interesting ideas. Um, so the first M school of course, they, we handed out a spaghetti drainer or a colander to each team and they had to transform that into a totally new product. So they took this very mundane household kitchen um, item and some made it into a bar stool, some made it into a crumb catcher that you know you can use while driving. And I'm I'm so not creative. Mine would have just been a helmet. No, some some actually made it into a hat. <laughs> so you you would have been right in right. No in offense the, to those kids. We we should start. A but they were, they were they were good. So they <laughs> we we don't they have to they have to create a new product. On um, the second class, they had to reinvent the classic TV dinner, which was kind of fun because then you you have this classic thing that has never changed, um, but they're totally lame. Right. So they had to, you know, kind of reinvent the the classic TV dinner into something that they actually, as a millennial, would would use and consume. And then we um, we partnered with um, Tom's, the you know the, yeah. the shoe company, and based also Venice. in your five mile radius. And they have an incredible um, what we call an experiential marketing store on Abikini. It's more of a coffee bar than a shoe store, but it's this really cool space. So we held class there once, and the idea was to do the next. The third pitch project, um, doing something, making something that matters, and starting something that matters off the Blake Mykoski book uh, about his um, experience with Tom's. So we we have them create things, and then they have to develop a campaign, multi-platform campaign to launch this new product that someone else didn't create, but they conceptualized and right. created. And in some cases, the the, what we call the pitch project ideas have actually gone into gone on to um, uh, ventures to try to commercialize the products. Right. So that's been also really rewarding to see the teams go extracurricular after class and keep you know um, pursuing their their business venture. What does the making the thing do for their education? Right, because a lot of times like you go into Brooks or you go into a place where products already exist and you're helping them think on a next level. Because a lot of times if I'm sitting here tinkering, building my widget, then suddenly like somebody else comes in with fresh eyes and goes, oh, you know what we could do with this widget is 10x or whatever. Um, where does the, What's the value of actually building the thing versus... Adopting uh, something that right. is already. Yeah, so we wanted to start them at ground zero and actually give them confidence that they too can create uh, and conceptualize, conceptualize something totally, totally new and totally, um, totally, you know, kind of unique. Um, it's one thing to take an existing product and say, okay, 
you know, this, this product's been around, and, but there's some baggage that comes with those products. And, and whether they know it or not, uh, Nike care. If they, you know, if, so if they develop a new shoe, they invariably tap into something that Nike or Adidas or another company has done. Because it's it's there, they right. they've been exposed to it's it. It's a so frame we, of reference. So we try to kind of wash the slate clean and have them start with a total blank canvas. Um, so they they develop the confidence and maybe even the skills to rapidly prototype a new a new idea, a new product, or a new service. Because when they leave the classroom and enter industry, and Chris, you probably know this better than I do. There's a lot of ambiguity. No one is giving them something and saying here improve upon this, sometimes they have to take the initiative and be really proactive and maybe take a risk right. and, and have a point of view on something that, that they need to support. So that's what we try to do with this, um, with, the, with the pitch project. And you guys teach, like, that's a skill set in and of itself, right? The, you know, the ability to be a little bit fearless. Because I think, you know, there, matter of fact, we did a show a while back where I gathered the millennials who work for the SciShow Network and we talked about, like, how they approach their jobs, right? And sometimes it's very much peer to peer, especially if there's a problem that's experienced. They won't go to a you know a boss, quote unquote. They'll go to each other. Um, and so, do you teach sort of the the political landscape of the workplace at all, or is it, 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 as part of? So the thing, once you, if you're in a comfort zone, then you can be more creative. You can come up with the proactive solutions. But if you're like stutter stepping along the way. You know, uh, you, you kind of hinder that a little bit. No, that's really important. So we also, um, it, it's kind of a secondary benefit for the way we run our classes. But uh, for instance, each team will have a mentor, an industry mentor or two. Um, and it's up to the team, the student teams of four students and their one or two mentors who are very busy and they've got careers and they're really, you know, very successful in their own, in their own ventures and companies. But it's up, for the, it's up to the student teams to manage those relationships. So they learn about how to, how to manage up, I guess you would right. say, um, and how to manage those connections, whether email, you know, what, what form of communication works, works the best. And so I think that's, that's a really important learning that is somewhat secondary to the actual curriculum, yeah. um, but it's something that they learn and, and I think really benefits them when they enter the workforce because then they learn that they're not just a, a, solar, a solo provider or, you know, that they, they, their success depends on other people within the company um, and they have to manage those relationships. So um, awesome. that's, that's been in something we've tried to build in to the, to the courses in the way that students function within the courses from day one. I wish we had a studio audience that would, that would have gotten applause. <laughs> what um oh what was going to ask you um if if I were you know I'm brand X right and I'm looking to hire some new blood what are some key differentiators that I'll see in your students versus another school's marketing program yeah one of the I mean one of the key differences is um the way that um, they're able to uh, present themselves. Um, again, so I'm, I've talked about the the um, the curriculum is is digitally intensive. Um, they learn about the, the, this fast changing world of marketing, but they also learn by nature of being in the course how to pitch their ideas, how to communicate. So I'm hoping, and I, I think from uh, the dozens of students that we've graduated with M School experience, that they've been very successful in being communicators. Um, and I think that's if you had to say, if you asked me what's the one important thing to, to be um, in, the, in a creative community, um, you know, one 
important attribute to have, I'd say, communication skills as well as being curious. I agree. And it was one of those things that, you know, I kind of adapted this philosophy or just realism a while back, which was we're all marketing ourselves at every minute of the day. Like if you're, you know, if you're an accountant and you're looking for a job, like once you walk into that room, you you are now um, you're now pitching. You're pitching yourself. That's what an interview is. It's a pitch or a date. It's it's presenting your best self, right? Um, And also, when you talk about personal brand, is like maintaining that, you know, whatever that essence is. Like that's why relationships last and don't last. It's like, oh, you were cool the first couple of times. Now they've turned out to be sort of a douchebag. Um, So that (laughs) that's that's a real like I I applaud you for or teaching that skill set. Well, what, so um, last spring we, we launched a new course called, it's a really fancy name called Transmedia Content Creation. And it's just, so it's all about storytelling, the yes. importance of storytelling, um, whether it's um, through digital, through traditional media. And part of the, the, the final project was they had to create a personal brand campaign for themselves. So they had to brand themselves as individuals. Um, and the context was they were going to be on the job market and they had to, so they had to reinvent their resume. They had to reinvent the cover letter. They had to create a video, a personal branded video, uh, one to two minutes. Uh, and then they could, they had some options. They could create a, you know, a, a, a modified LinkedIn presence or Facebook presence, but there were four or five touch points that they actually had to deliver to rebrand themselves. And it was fascinating what they came up with. For instance, uh, resumes not in typical eight and a half by eleven inch paper form, but Pinterest formats or cover letters that were actually really well created keynote or PowerPoint um, slides that introduce kind of tell their life story. So I was really proud of the students for again taking that risk and going beyond. Well, here's my resume. Here's a cover letter, um, but learning how they can be creative um, and you know a bit more um, unique. In presenting themselves on well, the market, I think that also just extends into life in general. Like you know, I always look at marketers uh, in a broader sense as creative problem solvers, right? And that creative problem solving may be for a product or a service, or it can be the way you approach your, you know, the finances in your home, mm-hmm. right? It's like, but once you get in the practice of rethinking, and that's where I look at you know innov- innovation as just rethinking something, right? How how can we do this differently? Um, is that exact you know skill set? So those those go beyond into into life skills. And for all you know, for all the millennials listening to this, the one thing I'm totally I'm continually surprised by is they're pretty conservative when it comes to uh, saying, "All right, jump out of the box," and like you said, do something innovative or different. I think what has happened in their um, maybe middle school and high school training is that, and I see this with our um, sons and daughters, to be, they've learned how to be successful in their courses because to get into a good university, you have to have now, I think you have to have like a 4.8 GPA and, you know, and you t- he had to save the world. Um, I'd, be, I'd be an ultimate failure. If- I would be, <laughs> I know I'd be in trouble if I were on the college market now. Right. But they're, you know, throughout the high school career, they're given rubrics and a rubric is a, teaching term for guidelines on how to get an A or, right. you know, what, how I am going to grade your assignment as a teacher. And it's a series of checkpoints. Right. So if you take away that, that rubric, they, first they freak out. Like, well, what do I need to do to get what a good doing? grade? Yeah, exactly. And, and so you, you, you instill a lot of ambiguity. But once they suffer through that ambiguity, then it, again, it gives them this idea that, okay, I can navigate 
this project or, or this assignment. No one's gonna. No one has to tell me exactly what I need to do to get an A. Right. And I think that really directly applies to um, to the workplace. Do you find that they that they come in you know day one, week one, month one, or whatever um, with a different expectation? You know, there, there's always the millennial thing of oh, there's a sense of entitlement, or you know, like I said, I, I know the rules of success um, to some extent, and the opposite of that is like you said, you take those rules away now. Mm-hmm. Now what am I going to do? But also, you know, this concept has come up uh, on a few other episodes where depth versus broad knowledge, right? Like we read headlines, we read a couple of lines of an article, and then we click on to the hyperlink and go on to the next thing. Oh, now I know about, you know, GE and moon boots, right? Um, like, oh, I, but you don't know the, the depth of, of the matter, right? You know about it. You're aware of it. But sometimes we take the awareness as knowledge. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that called um, T-shaped skills? developing so, yeah. so where where you're you're broad you understand for instance you understand the industry but you want to go deep in certain areas and that's exactly how we've developed our five course curriculum um, it's a it's a broad walk through the world of new branding new marketing modern advertising um, but we have classes that allow them to go deep into areas like data and analytics uh, storytelling Yawn. no I'm just kidding <laughs> numbers <laughs> But, you know, as engineers, we, we have learned to be comfortable with numbers. Right. Um, but a lot of our students aren't. So you, you even give them like, okay, we're going to work on a, an Excel spreadsheet. And it's simple math, simple adding, subtracting, dividing, multiplying. Right. But some are a little bit uncomfortable with that because they look at marketing as a soft, kind of a qualitative, soft, fluffy industry where we get to create. Oh, but man, if you can't, I mean, if you can't, <laughs> yeah, exactly. if you can't, um, you know, put numbers behind um, decisions now, you're uh, you're going to be in trouble, yeah. I think. Um, so we 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 try to foster a really broad understanding of the industry, but we also um, want them to go deep and, and maybe discover their passions in certain areas. What makes Andy Rome a good teacher? Wow. Um, again, I think it, it gets back to my um, my Detroit upbringing or north <laughs> northern suburbs upbringing. Um, having been maybe a diamond in the rough as a high school student. In fact, my um, I think she was my English teacher, Bessie Huesney. Bessie Huesney once approached me in the hallway, and my GPA might have declined, been declining. And she says, "Rome, you're a diamond in the rough." And I had no idea what that meant. So I was like, "Oh my!" <laughs> there God. was actually a question on the test that you didn't. You didn't Something like, "Yeah, I saw I failed. I failed." <laughs> Um, and it, it just – so I, I, I learned what it was like to be unengaged or disengaged in the classroom. And that continued to, you know, my engineering classes where, you know, I mean, they were great, but it was um, lecture-based. And so I look at my role as a student and I try to apply what I didn't feel back then and I try to instill that in the class. I try to get my students to um, – our students to – lean forward and to take part in the learning experience and process because that one class that I might have taken at Michigan where I actually got to speak and in, engage in conversation was a blast. I mean, it was like the greatest thing in the world. So right. um, I try to um, instill that same approach into our classes. It's really interesting because a lot of times I think, you know, we look at our experiences as isolated, right, where your experience obviously resonates with a lot of people, right? That's why the program's successful and, you know, it's very different. And sometimes we go, oh, I failed or I couldn't get that or I've always felt bored in my class, not realizing there's a bunch of people who would say me too to that if somebody gave them the opportunity to 
Yeah, and so you know, you you can't in a class of twenty students, you can't um, make everyone do hand flip, handstands, and backflips, and and but you you know, you at least try to um, make make them aware or make them feel like they're part of something bigger than just being one student in one seat in a in a class. Right, you're um, part of the world, and they're part of the world, and that they're part of something, and especially with this M School adventure, that they're part of something at LMU that's growing and. Um, becoming kind of more um, uh, more well known outside of campus, so they feel a kind of a sense of pri- a sense of pride in being part of something besides just a you know uh, a single class. Uh, what does the M stand for? Good question. Um, so the M stands for well, what do you think it stands for? I mean, I, the obvious guess is marketing. What else? Think of some other M. Uh, money. <laughs> Me. <laughs> the me school so it, mayhem mayhem that's a i like that mayhem because it is kind of uh, mayhem yes. um so it, it stands for modern marketing and making stuff making Wait, it's only one m i though. know making stands for um but we wanted to leave it again using the word ambiguous or we wanted there to be some mystery so if you look at our logo it's really deutsch developed it for us winston bench and his team and it's an m with a school kind of scattered throughout a box. Right. Um, so people look at it like, what the heck does that mean? And yeah. I'm like, figure it out. Yeah. So it, it kind of, in a little way, in a little sense, it, it um, conveys some sense of intrigue. That's awesome. Maybe I'm blowing it up too much, but no, we, it we tried sense. to. It, it, it's funny because I went to uh, South by Southwest V2V, right? They have a conference. It's their second year. They did it in Las Vegas uh, about a month ago. And... Like I could never find what V to V stood for. Like I was, you know, looking through the about section, you know, and I didn't want to be the dumb one. Like, I'm like what? Is, and so finally, like, I, you know, we were having drinks at one of the mixers, and I go, I asked somebody from South by Southwest. I was like, "What does V to V stand for?" And they're like, we don't know. Like it, it was like it started off as such and such, like it was venture to you know, I don't know what it was, the other V, but. It's become so many different things. Very similar to OMD. OMD, it's just Omnicom Media. It used to be Omnicom Media Direct. They dropped the Direct but kept the OMD. And so there's this like ability to kind of sub-create within the, the whole thing. And maybe part of the fun is you get to make up your own um, meaning behind the V2V or the M School or the OMD. When I was at Reebok, we launched a new technology called DMX. What does it mean? Arf, arf. Remember that guy, DMX? Yeah. So people are like, okay, you're in, uh, you're into music now, <laughs> right? Or but it just had this. It was kind of to me. It reminded me of like DNA or the X was kind of innovative and cool. Right. So we stuck with that. We didn't know what it meant, but I know a rapper named DMXican. He's a uh, uh, long story. So the show is called Innovation Crush. Um, what are some things that you see out in the world, trends wise, cool things, people, something that you are crushing on personally? Wow. So um, I think. Uh, I'm crushing mostly on the people that we meet, um, including you, Chris. Hey, hey, definite, definite man or business <laughs> crush here going on. Um, no, I'm, I'm. I think I'm. I'm most intrigued by not as much what's happening in terms of social platforms or um, you know new ways of connecting with people, but I'm 
really fascinated by curious people and people that are able to work in this industry and navigate their careers and continuously be curious and reinvent themselves and be open to change and be open-minded. I think that's just the coolest attribute um, for anyone at any age, whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, or 50s. How can you stay open-minded and and kind of open to change? Because change is happening. And I think it's really difficult because as a teacher – uh, one approach for me could be I could just teach the same course right. or courses over time and just you know maybe tweak my syllabus a little bit each semester. But we don't. So I'm learning more than maybe my students by developing these new courses and connecting with these industry rock stars. And I think I really admire people in this industry who realize they don't know everything and they always have to wake up in the morning asking questions and meeting new people and just exploring um, you know, the new things that are happening. That's awesome. It's funny, but you talk about change because this concept also comes up quite often. Where you know, one of my favorite quotes is, "It's not that people don't like change; it's that they don't like transition." And it's the transition that's uncomfortable because you're leaving something familiar behind, and you don't know quite what's ahead. And then once you actually get there, you're like, "Oh, this actually is kind of cool." Like I resisted the iPhone for such a long time. Like the you know the iPhone four was my first iPhone, and I was like, "Ah." Oh. Oh, cool! Because I didn't want to—I didn't want to leave my buttons behind. You know, I'm old enough to say um, I remember when email came around. Yeah, and it was like, why do we need email? I've got voicemail. <laughs> right. I mean, this is just more work for me. I thought texting was stupid. Like, yeah, at first, I yeah. Was like, wow. <laughs> I, I was in—I uh, was in Europe, and everyone texted in Frankfurt or Amsterdam, wherever I was on a on a trip, and I'm like, this is so frustrating. This is really annoying. I could just call you. Don't text me. Yeah, but the same way. So, you know, it was that transition that was kind of challenging. But. Bonjour. Um, and last but not least, have you, have you listened to a full, a full episode? This is a, a mini quiz. Uh, of Mad Men? No, of Animation. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have, actually. Um, it's my, it's my, that's my, one of my new passions is multitasking. And so as I'm working or writing or publishing something, I've got you on in the background. Hey. Oh, so by I osmosis. So, I just, I'm, I, if I wasn't black, I'd turn red. Um, the, uh, finish this phrase for me. Innovation to me is. Innovation to me is, uh, being open to new things and change. Awesome. Did that pass the test? Yeah. No, (laughs) I just wanted you, you would have known it was coming. That's all. That was the test. Uh, but no, how can people find out more about you and or M school? So check out the M school at, uh, blogs.lmu.edu slash M school. Look us up, check us out on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and if you get a chance, visit LMU's campus. Uh, stop by the Hilton Building where I am, andrew.rome at lmu.edu. And um, we have a great program going on, and you'll love our students. That's great. And uh, the book, one more time. The... Herding Cats, yes. a strategic approach to social media marketing. And we like the herding, cra- herding cats metaphor because it is like herding cats. Well, you also have a 20-year-old cat, I read. We did. Oh. Monroe. May he rest in peace. Oh, he escaped. Sorry. He ran away for two weeks. We found him, and he was never the same. But he's in cat heaven somewhere. So it's another part of the chasing M mice. School. Monroe. Monroe can be live on through your work. Thank you. Um, thank you, everybody. This has been another installment of Innovation Crush. Uh, follow me on at, on Twitter at Denzenology, um, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Bye. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it. 
on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Schleichinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years, one of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore because it's here and it's funny and I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudin posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.